Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Help us to relate to what Paul had gone through and help us to go through the same thing. I don't think, well, I don't know that God will actually pull us through the same type of suffering and attacks and beatings and uh, left for dead. Could be. But more importantly, I'd like for us to look at Paul's life and his testimony and how he is sharing it with the church in Corinth and to be able to reflect back on our own life and see what it is that God has pulled us through, God is bringing us through, what God is going to send us through, and how to communicate that, and how to, how to illustrate our, our weaknesses and, our, and, and the things that we think that are, you know, don't even make sense in our life, and, and to incorporate the failures in our life, and, and, and to be able to demonstrate the power of, of the gospel on what Jesus Christ has done in your life. Now, every one of us, we have a testimony. We should have a testimony. The, the one problem about the good news is before we can hear the good news, we got to know what the bad news is. And the bad news is that I was a condemned sinner. And when I got saved, I didn't realize it, but I got saved from the wrath of God. God's wrath was upon my life, as it is with everybody else that we know in the world. And, and God hates sin, and he's gonna, his wrath is going to be unleashed upon the sin of this world and those that are caught up in it. And the bad thing about sin is that it's in the sinner. And when God covers you, when he redeems you, when he justifies you, he makes you just as if you've never sinned. He doesn't make you perfect. He doesn't stop you from sinning, but he covers you and he recognizes you as his own. And, and it is that testimony from where I used to be to what I am now. And many of you know that I was at a point in my life where I thought for sure there's nothing left good in me. And I knew what was left about me. I knew a little bit about God. I knew what, what his standards was, and it was perfection, and I was far from it. As a matter of fact, when I brought my children to church, I asked the pastor to, to dedicate them because I had no understanding of what baptism was. I wasn't a uh, Catholic or really much of anything else. And the pastor asked me straight up, he says, well, what about you? And I says, well, it's too late for me. It was my understanding. It's too late for me. I, I don't believe that God even wants anything to do with me. My children are young. They're innocent. Please help them out. And that's when he shared the grace of God with me, that nobody is that far gone. Nobody. And it was from that point forward that both my wife and I, in his office, knelt before uh, our Lord and received that grace that only he had. And we took a turn. It took a turn in our life. There was repentance. What shall we do? is what the people yelled out to Peter when he proclaimed the gospel message. What shall we do? His first word was repent. In other words, get away from the lifestyle that you're living. And I took that to heart, and I says, okay, I can do that. And we started going in a whole different direction. Your testimony is so powerful. Your testimony on what it is that God has brought you from. Maybe you didn't have a life of drugs and alcohol and violence as I had. Uh, maybe you had a, a life, maybe something similar to my wife, where she was pretty much very good. She was, for all intents and purposes, a very good person, very legalistic. But there were things in her life that she knew and I knew and that, that weren't right. And when she confessed those things, it made a drastic change in her life. And, and maybe your life is somewhere in between, where you're good, but you know you still need a Savior, or you're bad, where you think that nobody can ever save you. The good news about the good news is that, first of all, you have to know what the bad news is. And sometimes we have to go back and look at what God saved us from, not to live there. 
and give our testimony or share what God has done. And it's amazing, and we're going to see a little bit about what Paul says here, but it's amazing on how some people, when they share their testimony, it really turns out to be more of a bragamony than it is a testimony. They, they talk about every single detail that they've done in their life, while they, they, they fought with their parents and stole the grandma's car and, and took all her money and, and got, got arrested, and, and then they got 12. And then at the age of 12, and it just goes on and on for about an hour, and then at the end, then Jesus saved me, and thank God for that. I go, wow, you know, it's not much of a testimony. And we'll see how Paul addresses the, the people in, in how he, not only here, but in the book of Acts, on how he addresses uh, the, the rulers, and he shares with them, look, I was a viler. I murdered people. I had them arrested. Three verses, and then the rest of the chapter is about what God is doing in his life. And that's how it should be with us. You don't have to get specific. I didn't have to get specific. All I had to do was share with you a little bit about the stuff that I used to do. You can fill in the blanks very easily. But it's the, what God is doing in your life right now that we're going to see that we can use to share this gospel message, especially to a hostile world. And I'm going to start up, uh, start up in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And I'm going to go back a little bit to verse 16 and then read the rest of the chapter all the way to 33. I believe, yes, 33. And, and it reads like this. And I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. Paul's suffering as an apostle. And he says this, I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear the fools uh, with fools being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. As Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? Well, so am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day, I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? and I am not weak. Who is made to fall, and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in a wall and escaped his hands." Father in heaven, help us to see the testimony of Paul as he shares with the people in Corinth 
and to what end and how it is that we can share our gospel, the gospel that the good news that you've given us, that gospel message that you have planted within our heart to a hostile world. Thank you, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen. As we, as we start off here in verse 16, he says, I repeat, and you remember that uh, if, in last week's message, in verse 1 of uh, chapter 11, when he says, I repeat, let no one think me foolish, because as he started off last week, we, met, we mentioned in verse 1, I wish you would bear with me a little foolishness. And Paul is using satire. He's using this way of communication to be able to communicate to the people in Corinth. Remember, Corinth had these super apostles, had these false apostles. He called them pseudo-apostles. And these apostles and these leaders were fake apostles, and they were talking bad about Paul. They said, he doesn't even charge you guys. That even shows how much he doesn't really love you, because if he really loved you, he would get connected with you. One of the things I didn't mention last week is that the teacher was always a paid hired hand, and he was held in high esteem and, very, and reared very well. I mean, he was the top of the family. As a matter of fact, if a father, it was mentioned by the Jews, if a father and a paid rabbi were both abducted and held for ransom, it was said that you had to pay the ransom for the rabbi first and foremost. That's how highly esteemed these guys were. And then afterward, then you can bring the father. Because this is the guy that would share with you and tell you what it was, what life was all about. When Paul goes into this, this uh, discourse where he says, For if I bear it, well, make, that some of them have made you slaves. And I'm reading out of verse 20 right now. For you bear it if someone makes slaves out of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or strikes you in the face. And that was basically what they let the teachers do to them. We hired you to beat us up, to make us slaves. And, to, and basically what they were doing, they didn't actually do that or say that, but they hired them, and these guys had full control of their lives. And so Paul is saying, you know, if that's what they're going to do, you know, if, if, you're so, if you're such a fool to let these people do this to you, then count me as a fool as well because I need your attention. You know, and maybe I didn't do all of that. And he says in verse 21, to my shame, I must say we were too weak to do something like that to you. Well, you know, we're just weaklings. We're not able to, to bear ourselves, bring ourselves to be able to take advantage of you in that sense. When you stop and think about the leaders that we have within our church, and, and I pray that, that every leader that you've come across to and, and come, come up to and, and that they have treated you with respect and with dignity, always look into God's word as to what it says for your life, not their own understanding, not their own thought. And, and it's... And it's baffles me how it is how many people have gone astray to various types of groups and peoples because of what they say because of how they've interpreted scripture twisted scripture to make it sound what it should be saying and they take it and they use it for their own advantage and they take advantage of the people and, and it seems like they are not necessarily struck in the face but they're made to be ashamed and and god will hold them accountable but he also holds us accountable to know what the Word of God says. And so when Paul is talking about these apostles, these people that have come up within the church, and he battles these guys, not only in Corinth, but he battles them in Galatia and, and in the region of Galatia and the churches that were out there. And, and he's constantly going up against this bad teaching. The gospel of Jesus Christ. He died, buried, and resurrected. That's the power. That's what you need. That's where it stands. The gospel and nothing more. 
And it's amazing how many other pastors or many other churches within that time, they wanted to add something more, something on top of the gospel. Well, it's good Jesus Christ died, but you have to be a Jew. You have to be circumcised. You have to be the gospel, yes, but. The gospel, yes, and. Or the gospel, yes, and that's good to know. However, here's what you have to do from this point forward. So as Paul is talking to the people there, he says, you know, here's some things that you need to know. I, I, I want you to know a little bit about me. You know some of the stuff about me, he says. And, and, and when he's talking to the, uh, when he's talking to the, the, the people there, what he's, what he's sharing with them is basically you, you have to listen to what I'm saying, first of all. I'm not giving you this from a boastful perspective. I'm trying to humble myself as much as I can and share with you and share with you the things that have come on in my life. I don't even want to share these things, he says, but you forced my hand to at least compare myself to these guys. You guys are comparing those guys to me, and they're telling you that I'm wrong. Let me share with you, and you know my life, the things that have gone on. And so sometimes pride, and we talked about that the last few weeks, pride seems to rear its ugly head. I'm educated from thus school. I make X amount of money. I have so many people in our church, and we have all these hundreds of thousands of people coming, and we have all this money, and on and on and on and on about how the, the, the person himself has elevated. Now, I, I need you to know that that's a very dangerous situation, place to put yourself in. Yet, there's been many times that I have, in essence, put myself there as well. Look at what I have done. And usually when I start talking like that, this is way in the past, usually when I started talking like that, my wife would do this waiting for the lightning bolt to strike. She would say, you know, I, I think you're elevating yourself a little bit too much. But it's, it's a sin. It's a sin to be boastful. And it's an affront to God. And, and, it, and, it's, and it, dis, it's disappears and it, it, and it attacks God's character when we sin and when we go up against God. For instance, there are a lot of things that pastors want. There are a lot of things that, that people want. You know, of course we want a big church. Of course we want a huge building. Of course we want all those other things. But covetedness, covetedness involves turning away from God and his provision to seek satisfaction in material things. God provides for us in everything that we need. And when I covet, when people covet, and you covet your neighbor's goods, this is why it's in the top ten. It says, you know what, God, you can't provide for me what I want. The things of this world, the things that I think are going to give me uh, satisfaction. Lust involves turning away from God's design for sex, pleasure, in illicit relationships. And it's, 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 it baffles me how some people say, well, it's, you know, it's, it's an affair. It's not an affair. It's fornication. It's adultery. It's not right. You, you, you get away from that. Cut it off and let God just deal with whatever issues you're going through. Anger involves turning away from God's justice and retribution to seek one's own revenge. There are a lot of angry people out there right now, and everybody wants revenge. Everybody wants to go up against the system, the people that have, that have taken over, it seems like. But you see, what God says, vengeance is mine. Let me take care of that. You cannot think, uh, you cannot think well when you're angry. When anger strikes, it seems like all reason just goes out the window. When you're full of rage and anger, there is no reason. And reason seems to take over anger when you understand, okay, let me think this through. Number one, God says he's in control. And that brings me great comfort. It brings me great comfort to know that God is sovereign and in control. And when, he, when I understand that and know that, then I, I can just step back and say, okay, God, you're going to take care of these things. Maybe the and, and I don't know what, what side you're on, but maybe things didn't turn out the way you liked and the way you wanted. 
And I, I, I'm, I'm very displeased, but my responsibility is to continue with the, with the gospel. Anger, it just basically says, I'm going to take care of it, God. Let me do it. Impatience involves turning away from God's sovereignty to seek control over my own life. Fear involves turning away from God's power to, to get over all this dread and all this, this, all this stuff that's going on. And there are a lot of people out there that are afraid right now. And, and so, and pride is the ultimate idolatry and therefore the most, the gravest sin of all because it involves replacing God-centeredness with self-centeredness. All of a sudden, I'm the one in control. I'm the one in charge. And so when Paul is having to deal with the people there, he says, you know, I don't want to have to do this, but let me at least share with you some of the things that have happened. Number one in your outlines, the first thing that we have to realize is we need to communicate the gospel to everyone. We need to communicate the gospel to everyone. And that includes not only the lost, but those that you assume are saved. We need to communicate the gospel to everyone. Because when you understand what you have been saved from, the wrath of God, when you understand what it is that you have been brought to, when you understand your significance in the kingdom of God, when you understand what God has done for you through Jesus Christ, his son, then nothing can stop you from accomplishing the purpose and the goals that God has for you in your life. I'm amazed at how many depressed Christians I find, on how many uh, discouraged Christians I find, how many those that are wandering aimlessly without a purpose in their life. And sometimes I have to come back and say, okay, we have to get back to the point where we confirm and we look at your salvation. What did God save you from? Where are you going with this? What are you going to do with that? And so I communicate the gospel with as many people as possible. And Paul says in verses 16 and 17, I repeat, let no one take me for a fool, but if you do, then receive me just as you would a fool, so that I may do a little boasting in this self-confident boasting. I am not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool. He says, you know, these are not things that God would, Jesus Christ would actually have me do. Jesus had no, no reason to boast. Paul here is having to defend himself. and He says, okay, if you're going to listen to those fools, listen to me. Give me just a little bit of time so I can share with you the things that have gone on in my life. As a matter of fact, in, in 1 Corinthians 9, 16, when we went through that, we learned that Paul says, For if I preach the gospel that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. And these are some of the things that Paul said. He says, I've got to preach the gospel, we, you know, to, especially to the church. He's talking to the church. The first thing they ask, or the first thing he addresses is the false teachers have made three claims. And Paul starts uh, off by saying, okay, they claim to be Hebrews? Okay, I'm a Hebrew as well. And, and this word was you know, specifically used of the Jews who still had the old Aramaic language and how they spoke. It, it, was, it was a form of, uh, in Paul's time. And the problem was that a lot of people have lost the language. It's kind of like when second or third generation uh, Latinos like myself come into the country. And my first language was Spanish. I'm the oldest of the family, went to school speaking Spanish, and uh, they told me I couldn't speak it there, so I had to learn English, and, which was good. I learned it. But because I learned English and lost the language, I've lost the language, and now a lot of the Spanish-speaking people, I don't know if you ever had this happen to you, but they get mad at me. You know, what? You, you don't speak Spanish? Uh, yo no sabo, I say. You know, that's, that's an old Spanish joke. But anyways, um, 
It's, it's, it's amazing and how people look down on you. And Paul says, no, 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 I, I, I can speak Aramaic. Matter of fact, I can even write Aramaic. And, and many of the people that lost their language, because Paul was born in Tarsus, they believed, oh, no, he's like, he's like one of those other guys. You know, he's, he's lost the language. He's like Grecian. He says, no, no, I, I've not forgotten the purity of the ancestral language. And, and I, could, I can speak it and write it just as good as anybody else. And then they claimed to be Israelites. Well, they claimed to be Israelites. As opposed to saying, well, Paul's not really an Israelite. And he says, yeah, <laughs> the, the Israelites were described as Jews as members of God's chosen people. And the fundamental sentence of the Jewish faith is what everyone spoke and, and how they, they came out every time they got together. We are Israelites and we know that God spoke to us. And so every time we got together, they would recite the Shema. Shema Israel, Adonai Alachenu, Adonai Ahad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And, and that was something that they always proclaimed within the, the, the time of the, the synagogues and the meetings. And Paul says, you know, I, I never lived in Palestine. You're right. I never lived in that area, but I did. I, I have worked and I, and I have been um, blessed to be taught by the top-notch instructors of the land and here here's what he was saying my lineage is a lineage of the people of God and you can take that to the bank and they couldn't claim superiority on that point and another thing they said is they claimed to be descendants of Abraham and by that they meant that they were Abraham's direct descendants and Paul says no Paul says I am as pure descent uh, descendant as anyone else he says in Philippians they had no claim to his superiority and so he says you know those are the things that they're saying these are my credentials and, and I've got to share them with you because he says, I am of, I am, uh, of uh, the line of uh, Abraham. I am a descendant of the Israelites, and I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. And that's who I am. And then he says, okay, but let me share with you something that these guys don't have. Because what I'm going to share with you, I'm going to have to take off my robe and just kind of show you. I bear the scars. I bear the scars of a man that has moved mountains just to be able to Get the gospel message out. People didn't like me. And he, he goes on through this list of how he's gotten beatings and how he's been uh, imprisoned and, and how, how, they've, um, how, how they, they treated him and all these different aspects of, of his ministry. He goes on to say five times in verse, uh, I'm going in verse 24. Actually, I'll start in 23. Are they servants of Christ? He says, I am a better one. And let me show you. I'm, taking, I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. You know, there is something that needs to be said about a scar. There needs to be, there's something that every scar says about a person. Every scar that you have gone through in your life bears a story. Whether it's an operation, whether it's a, a cut, whether it's an accident that you were involved in, and whatever it could be. There, there are scars that are within your body. There are scars within your life, within your heart, within your soul, within the things that you have lost in this world, whether it be a loved one or, or something close to you and dear to you. But all of us have scars that we can always go back to. And, and my scar that I have here, every time I look at it, it reminds me of a fight that I was in, and I got cut. And, and so I, I think about that, but it doesn't affect me anymore. The pain is no longer there, and it's gone. But the scar will be there to remind you. The scars in your life, as Paul was saying, are there for God's glory. As a matter of fact, uh, Jesus it was, was uh, prophesied in Psalm chapter 22. It's the verse that Jesus Christ had recited on the cross. 
Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani? He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And if you go back to Psalm 22, you'll start to read a little bit further into it that it's a picture of the crucifix. They pierced my hands. They pierced my feet. Dogs are circling around me. They divide my garments around me. They wag their fingers at me. It's a picture of the crucifixion. Jesus Christ is pointing them back to 800 years prior that this event was prophesied. And when, when, when he's talking about his pierced hands and his pierced feet, the very first thing that Thomas says, you know, I'm not going to believe it until I see what? The scars on his hands. Until I'm able to put my hand in the side. And the scars on his hands and in his feet, they've been a symbol and a picture of the crucifixion, of the suffering that Jesus Christ had done for us. Scars are very important. And they, they should be used in your testimony. Here's, here's some of the things that I, I don't even like to talk about anymore. Here's some of the things that really just, I don't even know why I went through them. Here's some of the things that you may be going through right now. Things that God is bringing you through that, that you, you have no clue as to what it is that's going on. When we studied, and we started off in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, if you, you go back there with me, in, um, in, in verses... Um, Three, I think it is, yeah, verse 6. He starts on verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercy, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by. Paul goes on to say, We've been through a lot of troubles. We've been through a lot of afflictions. And he says, I, I've been, you've been through a lot of afflictions. And, you know, if you think about this, sometimes the things that you are going through, they're not really about you. Now, let me pause there for a little bit. Sometimes the things that you're going through, or you've gone through, they're not really about you. They are so God can use them in the life of somebody else that is not as strong, that is yet still weak in their faith that you have grown through and grown by, and use you can use that for your testimony. Thank God, the Father of all comfort, the God of all uh, encouragement, He who has encouraged us and comforted us in our time of affliction so that we, in turn, can comfort others. And these testimonies, these life stories, as Paul is sharing, he's sharing with them, look, I've been through a lot. Now, the church hasn't been persecuted as of yet. As of yet, as we've learned in 1 Corinthians, and not as much as 2 Corinthians, but 1 Corinthians was the first letter that was written uh, anywhere. And so the Gospels had yet not been written. And a little bit later, Peter and James, they start to talk about the tribulations that everybody's going through. Consider it pure joy for all the troubles and tribulations that you're going through, because through it, God is building up your, 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 your faith. He's building up your perseverance. He's building you up. And so the, the persecution hasn't really attacked and hit the church as of yet. But it's coming. It's coming. And so Paul says, all right, don't come in. <laughs> Stay out. 
Paul says that we have to be ready for it. And here's he's sharing with us what's gone on in his life. To communicate the gospel to everyone is what I need to do. And I, I got to share that to demonstrate the power of the gospel. And he goes on to say in verse 21 and 23, what anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast about, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? Paul says, well, so am I. So not only do I communicate the gospel to everyone, number two, I demonstrate the power of the gospel and what God has brought me through. He's brought me through so much. And I need to, uh, in, in verse 1 of chapter 2, in your outlines it says this, in verse, chapter 1, verse 9, Indeed, we felt that we had reached the sentence of death, but that was, made, that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Paul is sharing with us in the very beginning of this, of this book, in chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians, on all the stuff that they had gone through. And it was all done so that they would learn how to trust in God. And right now, in this nation, in, in all these things that you've gone through personally, probably collectively as a state, as a nation, all these things are meant to help us to trust in God. Right now, I know a lot of people are wondering, what happened? Or what's going to happen? How is this all going to play out? How is this all going to work together? Trust in God. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I have a plan, God says, and this plan includes you. You share the gospel. You see, this gospel message has to be preached to everyone. As a matter of fact, in the book of Revelation, John says in Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 1. When you get to Revelation chapter 1, and I know a lot of people are af afraid, and, and it's, it's amazing. I had a pastor friend tell me just recently that he asked me, have you ever taught or preached through the book of Revelation? I said, well, yeah, I've, I've taught through it twice, and I, I preached through it um, when we first started doing expository teaching. And uh, we went through it. He goes, really? I says, yeah, it's three times. I, I want to do it again. I think right now is a very good time to do that again. And he says, you know, I was, pastor friend, I was always afraid of the book of Revelation. I go, why? Well, because of, of all the symbolism and all the things. I just didn't understand it. I, and, 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 you know, I am being so blessed, he says. Those were his words. I am being so blessed. I go, have you read verse, uh, verse 3 in chapter 1? He goes, remind me again. It says, well, <laughs> it says this. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and are blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. And I think one of the things that happens in the book of Revelation, a lot of people get confused with all the symbolism and the, the pictures and the numbers and all those things. And the best way that I can describe that or explain that is if, uh, like the number 666. Well, they kind of, everybody knew what that was in that day. It's kind of like today. If I were to tell you 9-11, what does that mean for you? Okay? I mean, first thing that comes up is the terrorist attack, right? I, I mean, I would assume that. You know, 9-11. And, and that, even though it happened almost, but... Uh, 18, 17 years ago, you know, we're, we're still in, the, in, in that phase of, okay, it happened a long time ago, but it's still fresh in our mind. And, um, and, and it, that number will always mean 
that for us, always. And so the 666 meant something to them. We have to kind of decipher what it meant to them. If I were to tell you, uh, like for instance, uh, they have animals, the bear, the eagle, the lion. If I were to tell you the bears, the eagles, the lions, the colts today, what, what would you think of? Rams? <laughs> Football, yeah. I mean, it's the first thing you think of, you know? And back, elephants, donkeys, we know what that means. Oh, yeah, you know, uh, some, are, some are right and some are left. But uh, we know what that means. And it was the same thing for them back then. And, and the, the whole purpose of going through the book of Revelation is to get blessed. But the purpose of Revelation was not for the lost. Because the first thing that Jesus does, he says to them, uh, when, when he heard this voice, John says, And I, John, your brother, in verse 9, and partner in the tribulation and kingdom and the patient endurance that, is, that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the lost people, to the governors, what did he say? Did he say send it to all military officials? Did, did he say to send it to the president of the United States or every president of the nation? No, send it to the churches. The church needs to hear this message. And when we share the gospel in this hostile word, it needs to be shared to the churches. Because here's what he says as he goes on. The first church is in Ephesus. He says, you know, I, I, I know you. But you have one thing that you have messed up on. You've lost your first love. And what does he say? Repent. Repent. And he goes into description there is what he says. The second church, Smyrna, which by the way, Smyrna doesn't get a rebuke. Smyrna is told, you know, just be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. You, things are going to come your way. It's going to hurt, you know, and, and, and it's going to be painful, but stay faithful just like you've always been. The church in Pergamon. And Pergamite, he tells them to repent. He says, you have some there who hold the teachings of Balaam. And I'm reading out of verse 14. Let me go back there. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so they, are, so they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. Beloved, this is what's happening in our churches. It just seems like it's okay to be uh, of an alternative lifestyle, if that's what you want to call it. It's okay, to, you know, as long as you guys love each other, that's fine, you know? And, and beloved, there are a lot of churches that are like Pergamum. And then there's Thyteria. He says, repent. And by the way, Thyteria is the only church mentioned in the Bible with a woman pastor. I'm just going to leave that right there. We've already studied this. And in verse, verse 20, he says, but I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and eat food sacrificed to idols. He says, repent. The church, he's talking to the church, not the lost, not the government, not the armies, but to the church. Sardis, he says, wake up. And I'm in verse 2. And strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Then he says, remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. Philadelphia, another church in verse 7, that 
he, Jesus Christ upholds. And he says, you know, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door. And he says, you're going to have this door open. I just want you to trust me and do what needs to be done. And in verse 10, he says, because you have kept my word about patient endurance. If there's any message out of all these seven churches, this is the one for the church. And if for this church in itself, I think um, Sardis, the church prior to that, we need to get back to what we're supposed to be doing. Every one of these churches is a symbol of some church within the world today. But he says, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world. You know, all you have to do is just keep doing what you're doing, keep going in the direction you're going, because you have kept my word about patient endurance. It's interesting that right after this finishes up, well, well I'll get there right now. Let me, let me go back to Laodicea. Laodicea is the, the last church. He says, you know, I, I'm just, I just want to vomit you out of my mouth because you're lukewarm. You're not hot. You're not cold. You're the most dangerous Christian there is on this planet. Because, yeah, I go to church. Yeah, I believe this. Yeah, you know, but I, it's okay. You know, I'm saved and once saved, always saved. And, you know, it's, it's just the way I operate. And, you know, God knows me. He, you know, he's good with me and he understands I'm not perfect. I'm a work in progress. Uh, you know, holiness, when I get to it. Repent. Strive for holiness. That's what it is that Jesus Christ died for. Not so that we can have fun in church. He didn't die on the cross. Endured a cruel, wicked death just so I can be happy. Jesus wants me to be happy, doesn't he? I says, no. He wants you to be holy. That's why he died on the cross. So that you and I can strive for holiness. Made it possible. He says, repent, you're lukewarm. He says, those whom I love, he says, I, I reprove and discipline. He says over in verse 19, so be zealous and repent. He says, just be zealous, repent. Turn away, church. And, and as I was going to say here, it's interesting that in chapter 4, when he says, come up here and I will show you what must take place. Now, some people point to that as the rapture. He's talking to the church, come on up here. Come on up and I'm going to show you what's going to happen. Because from this point forward, the church is no longer mentioned. The church is no longer brought out in the book of Revelation. The saints are. Those that are being saved through the tribulation, the saints are. And the message that we have to share to the churches is to illustrate compassion for the churches. That's the next point in, chapter, in verse 3. Excuse me, point 3. In the back of your outline, we need to illustrate compassion for the churches because it is the church that Jesus Christ died for. It is the bride of Jesus Christ that he wants to keep pure, as Paul said to us last week. It is the bride that needs to be holy and washed clean. It is the bride that he is returning for. And Paul says, I have this jealousy for you to keep pure. I have this jealousy for you, yet you're letting in all this other teaching come in. You're, you're allowing to be led by those that are causing all this dissension within the, the church. And it's not okay. Because God's wrath is going to come upon the church. Now, by extension, that means the rest of the world. Everybody else. But I think the church has lost focus of the fact that Jesus Christ is talking to the church. He's talking to us. And so I want to illustrate my compassion for the church. Paul says in verses 28 and 29, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure of me, of my anxiety for all the churches, not just Corinth, but all of them. 
And he had this daily anxiety. They are falling away. It hasn't been that long. It's only been maybe 30 years since it had gotten established. And now they're allowing all this stuff in. And Paul constantly writes to them and visits them and reprimands them and sends leaders to these churches. And he's helping them experience what it is that they've gone through and get out of that stuff. And he brings their sin in their face. Look, you got to be a pure church. And unfortunately, this is not a very popular message because people want to come to church and feel good. You know, it's, I'm okay, you know, with my sin. You know, just, just don't step on my toes. But Paul says, you know, this is the daily pressure that he had, the anxiety. If he had anxiety for anything, it wasn't for himself. It wasn't for his finances. It wasn't for his health. It wasn't for his safe travels. It wasn't for his family. People don't realize that Paul must have been married. We don't have any documented evidence, but a Pharisee couldn't be a Pharisee unless he was married. That's just, you know, married kids. You got to know how to manage your own household. And, and so Paul's major concern was for the bride, the precious bride of Jesus Christ. That's what he was doing. And, and we read a little bit of, of Revelation right now. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 and 21, it says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. This is a very key verse that some uh, cessationists use, and cessationists meaning that, well, that uh, the, the, the gifts uh, like the, the apostles and the prophets, that has ceased uh, now because we have now pastors, teachers, deacons, elders, uh, we have evangelists. Because when, when the church was implemented, when the church was first started, Jesus Christ sent out his apostles. Jesus Christ sent out his prophets. And when that was sent out with the spoken word, God says this, look, with that, you are now fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And we're called saints and we're all members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. With the foundation, there is a one foundation, one cornerstone, and that's it. Everything else is built on top of it. So from the very beginning, once the apostles and the prophets completed their task, it was the job of the, the teachers and the pastors and the deacons and the elders and, and those that were within the church now to build on top of that. You don't put another foundation on top of that. No. As a matter of fact, it messes everything up. The foundation is set. And that is what Jesus Christ died for, to get the church done. He says, he says to Matthew, he says to, to Peter, and this is in your next point, he says to Peter, remember the saying of Jesus, uh, oh, I'm sorry, not that. that's not the verse I was looking at. That he says to Peter, you are called Peter. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail. And on this church, I am building my, I am building my church on this rock. This rock, this foundation, Jesus Christ himself says, I'm going to build it. And so we step back, and we continue on with what he's given us, his word, his instruction, and move forward and let him build his church. It's not by marketing. It's not by, those things are helpful. Those things, are, those things will work. But unless it's built on the rock, it's all going to fall apart. And the last thing I want to share with you is incorporate failures God uses in your life. This is interesting, and I'll, I'll conclude with this. 
He says, if, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of, our, of the Lord Jesus Christ, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. Paul takes a turn here. This testimony part of his story just doesn't seem to fit. But I believe that what Paul is doing here is, is he's, yeah, you know what? Again, like Peter, and that's the verse I was going to take you to earlier. Like Peter, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Huge failure in his life. A huge failure. And, and for Paul and his ministry, for this to happen to him, it was to him, he felt like it was a huge failure. Some of us would think, well, yeah, I was pretty smart. You know, they got this wall that you can ride a, of Damascus. You can ride a, a chariot on top of it. And, and so it's, it's huge and, and got houses that are there with windows. And people would come out from fishing. So you would bring the fish out up with these nets and, you know, a pound, 100 pounds or so, 150 pounds of fish. And you would just bring them up to the place. Instead of having to go all the way around, bring them up the stairs, just bring them up with the rope. You've done that, I'm sure. You've tried that. Or lower down the, the, the tools and the things that you need to go fishing. So, so they had this ability to be able to lower and raise. And, and you would think, well, that was pretty ingenious, you know. I mean, they got rid of they got them out of there. If you go back to Acts chapter 9 and, uh, in, your, in your Bibles and you look at what, what was going on there. And, and basically what happened, you know, just to give you the, the short of it. Uh, Paul is, is going to Damascus. He's going to Damascus. And while he's going to Damascus, in verse 1 says, he was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Now, you know the story. He got struck with light, blinded, and he went into Damascus and he stayed there. And later on in Galatia, we'll, we'll find out that he stayed in the wilderness for three years. The very next thing that he did is he came back to Damascus. He came back to Damascus, full of the Holy Spirit, instructed by Jesus Christ for three years. Most people believe that that's where he had his one-on-one -on -one teaching with Christ. Everything that he knew as a Pharisee from the Torah and, every, and the writings and the scriptures, he now applied it to what Jesus Christ had done. And he was able to now see the Old Testament unfold before his eyes in the person of Jesus Christ. And so as he started to write these things down, and, you know, this, this is just a lot of information. He comes to Damascus. The first thing they do is, hey, isn't that the guy that wanted to kill us? But listen to him. He talks like one of those Christians. And as he started to proclaim, people started to trust in him. And, and he believed, uh, people believed in, in what he was saying. They were converted. There was a huge uproar. And there was a lot of things going on. And, and they got Paul out of there, actually Saul. And I think that would be a little bit later on. Um, Saul's in verse 23, when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. It was the Jews, those of that area that didn't like the new teaching and it was the political leader at that time. The political leader joined with these Jews. He was at Damascus. The governor under King Aratus was guarding the city of Damascus. The governor of a Gentile king. The governor that was overseeing the political leader of that day that went up against the word of God. Beloved, we have our political system we have our social system. 
We have our educational system. We have just about every other system in this world that is up against the word of God. You might be wondering, why did the elections turn out the way they did? Only God knows. And the one thing that we do know is that before it gets better, it's going to get worse. And as believers and members of a church and members of Christ's body, as the bride of Christ, we have to keep pure to the word of God because that is our direction. And Paul's failure, he incorporated this. And the way he says it, you know, I mean, uh, right at the end, but, but I was let down in a basket. Almost as if he's saying, I let Jesus Christ down. I really did. This was at the beginning of his ministry. This is right out of Damascus, out of the Arabian desert where he came in. And, and he was preaching and boldly, and then all of a sudden his life was threatened and he hid. It was almost as if he felt like he was a, a coward. He was cowardly hiding in a basket full of fish or smelt like fish, dropped down from the wall to the other side to escape. Where Paul should have, maybe what he's thinking is, you know, I should have just stood there and watched God just show up, which is exactly what happened much later. As he started to proclaim, people threatened him, do whatever you want with my body. Do whatever you want. And they killed him, literally threw him out, and God raised him up. And he talks about his weaknesses in the next chapter. We'll talk about that next week. He talks about his failures. He talks about the things as Peter did. Judas also denied Jesus, but he took the easy way out. You know what happened to Judas. And Peter, now in the midst of his disciples, everybody just looking at him, God, God, Peter, I can't believe you. You denied him? You said you wouldn't. And he wept, the Bible says, bitterly. God takes your worst, what you believe is the worst failure in life and brings it to his glory. I believe that at this point when Paul is sharing the testimony of everything that's going on, and then when he says this, he shares, you know, I, 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 was, I was let down. I was let down in a basket, in a basket of all things, through a window in the wall and escaped his hand. See, I, 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 was, I hid you know, the rulers of this of our society, the police department, the governor, you know, they said, do this. And, and you know what? I did it. I was scared. I was afraid what might happen. And church, this is where our governor has us now. This is where not necessarily just our governor, but the governors, the governors of this world have us now. And we can't flinch. We can't. We have to stand firm. Let nothing move us because we know that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. And so as I share my story with people, I, I share my failures, especially the big ones, you know, the ones that I really messed up in. Uh, I share and I try to illustrate my compassion for the church. The church needs to stay pure. I share and I demonstrate the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ on how he has saved me from what I was, where I was at and where I am now. I try to communicate the gospel to as many people as possible, especially the church. I think I mentioned to you last week, that on Saturday, I was invited to speak at a rally, a prayer rally, praying for our nation. And uh, the, we're, we're praying, of course, for the outcome to come out the way we wanted to come out. Uh, the, the, the verse was, you know, Second uh, Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, if my people who are called by name will humble themselves and seek my face, I will heal their land. And that was the, the, the verse. And I says, okay, well, how many... Those that have to humble themselves, we, it has to be all of God's people. 
You know, God's people can't even come to an agreement on what color the church building is going to be. We can't agree on whether it's going to be chairs or pews. We can't even agree to, to meet at 8 o'clock in the morning or, or 10 o'clock in the morning. You want us to come together and humble ourselves? It wasn't the message that most people wanted to hear. So I preached the gospel. I preached the gospel to the church. And the church needs to hear the gospel message because that not only does, is it saving, is it salvific, does it bring change in a person's life, but it also brings to us the encouragement that we need to continue moving forward. This is what he saved me from. Not to live in the past, but to propel us to the future of what it is God is going to do in his church. Beloved, we have a, a mandate. I want to call it a commission. As a matter of fact, most people call it a commission. Jesus said, go therefore into all the nations and baptize Make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is our commission. When Jesus Christ said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to us as well, in the name of Jesus. And this is where we go, not to make church members, not to make Baptists or Pentecosts or whatever, to make disciples of Jesus Christ, sticking to the word of what he said. Let me ask you to stand. I want to pray for you, and I'm going to ask you to continue to pray for me as well. As I said, it's not a popular theme, but it's a powerful message. And in essence, I'm not looking for popularity. Um, okay, I have to rephrase that. I have been. I mean, which pastor doesn't want to be recognized and known? You know, this one of the reasons why some of us go into ministry you know, which pastor doesn't want to be known as the pastor that grabbed the church and launched it off and, you know, hundreds of millions of thousands of people and all this money that we're going through? And, and, and that's, but that's not my, I'm too old for that now. My message is the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're going to keep proclaiming it. And we're going to infuse it into the DNA of the church, that we understand it, that we know how to proclaim it and how to share it and why it's important to share it, what the gospel means. Many people can't articulate the fact that the gospel means that Jesus Christ, he atoned for my sin on a cross. He paid the price. He paid the price so that I wouldn't have to be separated totally from God for all eternity. And he propitiated, he, he appeased that wrath that God had on me. For all the, the wrath of God was being displayed to the whole world. And I'm part of that system that it was being displayed upon me, but the blood of Jesus Christ paid the penalty for me. And the reason I know that Jesus Christ is the only way is because when they killed him, they put him in a tomb and he resurrected three days later, just like he said he would. And because of that testimony of the apostles and they proclaimed it, they saw him and every one of them went to their death, their martyred death, proclaiming Jesus Christ. Not recounting anything. These guys are crazy. These guys are madmen. If they were really that crazy, even a crazy person would probably say at the end, okay, I was kidding. <laughs> Please don't throw me in a boiling vat of oil. Please don't cut my head off. Please don't crucify me. I was just kidding. None of them recounted. The testimony that we have in God's word has changed lives, cities, countries, nation, has changed the world. And it is still doing so today. And as we know, that that gospel of Jesus Christ was placed in my heart and also in you. And that is what we share. 
Jesus Christ died on the cross, buried, resurrected, explaining it very simply, only through his blood. And it is through faith, it is through faith that we are regenerated. Nobody can see it in you. Nobody can, but they see the effects, just like the wind. Nobody can see the wind, but they see the effects. Father in heaven, I thank you once again for how you bring us to places like, like here, like today. Helping us to see and to look at and to focus upon your word. You use the testimony of Paul, everything that he went through, from one that was totally against Jesus Christ, kicking against the goad, to one that you used through all his experiences and all his trials and all his education, everything that he went through to get the gospel message out to us. And I thank you, Father, for seeing and looking and overseeing the writing of your word and the preservation of it so that we can have it here in our hands today. Help us to hold your word so dear and near to us as we proclaim it as well. So, Father, I pray that you take us from this place to the next on a daily basis, one day at a time, one step at a time, with you in mind and with the focus of the goal of Jesus Christ. That is our goal, heavenward. So, Father, we thank you once again for today's uh, message and, and the timing the timing of your message, as Paul expressed to us. Lead us and direct us in all things, we pray, in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen, amen. May the Lord be with you. All right. We are dismissed. Thank <laughs> you.